when you first got to the varsity softball team at Porter High School, who was that first person to kind of kick your butt and welcome you to the varsity level of competition? Uh, so, you know, I played varsity softball all four years, um, basketball all four years. Um, softball was definitely my better, my more dominant sport. Right. Um, so for me, that that moment came probably my junior or sophomore year. I can't remember specifically. Um, but, you know, for for me, I'm pretty fast and I'm, I'm a fast break. You know, I'm going to take off post, just throw me the ball uh, type of gal. And uh, sure enough, I'm like thinking, all right, I got this easy money layup in the back, whatever. And sure enough, I'm going up for a nice, easy layup, soft touch off the glass. And I just get this big old, I mean, just straight up volleyball slams my ball against the glass. <laughs> Um, completely stuffs me. I fall to the floor trying to get the foul. Um, and as I'm on the floor getting up, uh, because they did not call a foul, yeah. uh, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so this is varsity basketball. All right, here we go. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy All right, welcome back to another brand new episode of the Team Player Podcast This is episode number 85 This is a really special guest This is our, only our second softball edition And so it's definitely something I want to get more softball guests on Our first was Katie Kilgore, uh, the head coach of the Travis Tigers in Fort Bend County So that was a really great episode early on <laughs> Uh, here uh, in our show but this is a guest that I have been comes highly recommended to me uh, by coach Andres Gomez uh, he is the head uh, football coach of the Northbrook Raiders if you want to check out his episode that's episode number 51 and if you want to check out uh, Katie, Gil Katie Kilgore that's episode number 12 but this coach again comes highly recommended from coach Gomez he I saw him at coaching school recently and he said Kovo I already told you this. You have got to get Jamie Hank on the show. So I immediately uh, sent a message right after that. And here she is. She is the head softball coach for the Splendora Wildcats. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Team Player Podcast, Coach Jamie Hank. Awesome. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. And, um, you know, I'm excited. All right. If, if you're a fan of the show, again, just take the five seconds to please give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening. Uh, we've got uh, six, over 65 on Spotify and over 30 on Apple Podcasts. So we're right there at that 100 uh, ratings mark. So that's great. Let's keep it going. The more ratings we get, uh, the more people will find this show through the algorithm. Don't ask me how it works. Uh, if you want to leave a written review, I will read those live on the show. You can hit the follow button wherever you're listening. That will subscribe you, and you will get a new episode as soon as they come out, right in your queue every Sunday when these episodes come out. We'll be honored if the Team Player Podcast made it into your rotation. 
And I'm your host, James Kovaleski. Please follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. All right, Coach, let's dive into where you're from. So your early life, you grew up on the north side of Houston, a neighborhood called Lindale Park. And I didn't recognize that right off the bat, but you said it's off Irvington and Cavalcade. And I definitely remember those streets. Uh, Before we moved out here to Katy, my wife and son and I, we lived like right on the very edge of, not Woodland Heights, but outside of it, (laughs) in in one of those uh, new town homes, Uh like right near I-10 and 45. There used to be an old Lucky's pub right there. Uh, That's where I was at. And so when I looked it up on a map, Lindale Park is just right there, kind of where I-45 and 610 meet, right mm-hmm. on the east side. And I yes. was like, man, that was just, I could have ridden my bike there easily, right? That's just 10 minutes, you know, uh-huh. five, 10 minutes down the street. So really a cool place. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of our listeners or coaches, a lot of them grow up in the subs, you know, different various suburbs around the city, but you got to grow up right in the heart of the city of Houston. I really enjoyed mm-hmm. it at the time I was living there. Um you know, now there's White Oak Music Hall right down the street. I mean, that didn't exist, I'm sure, yep. when you were growing up. But, like, it's, it's a fun, kind of cool, hip place, you know, to be mm-hmm. growing up. So just can can you kind of describe what that was like growing up in Lindell Park? Um, you know, for me, I felt like I was a normal kid in the suburbs. I didn't know any better. Yeah, um, that right. was just where, where we grew up. I mean, um, you know, I remember riding our bikes down to, you know, the Metro stop. I remember sneaking onto the Metro, going places we weren't supposed to be going. Um, I mean, it was just, I mean, it's definitely different than, you know, where I live now. Cause I live now back in the suburbs, Kingwood area. Right. Um, but I mean, it really, you know, cause I grew up around a lot of different incomes, a lot of different people, yeah, you know, absolutely. um, so it, it gave me a real perspective early on that, you know, everybody's equal when we're little, you know, and, you know, my, my friends all come from different backgrounds and I was privileged enough to go to a private high school, uh, private middle school, elementary. Um, and I mean, just, just the, the diversity that I grew up with, you know, I really appreciate it now as a educator specifically, but number one, just for you know, who, who I am and who I like to, you know, the company I like to keep around me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely witnessed that as well. Uh, being down there, um, we were zoned, we would have been zoned to Heights high school. I imagine you would have went to, I guess, Northside probably mm-hmm. imagine, yep. you know, had you gone the public school route. And I mean, I liked watching a lot of HISD athletics and, and I did some broadcasting for them. And it's just, I loved seeing all the different diversity uh, mm-hmm. in those neighborhoods. And then you mentioned, you know, the private school you went to, uh, that was Trinity Lutheran uh, downtown. And you, you said you actually kind of yes. did that all the, like for a very extended period, like mm-hmm. from daycare up to elementary and, mm-hmm. and some middle school there. So can, can you describe what that's like? I, I know I come from the public school realm, you know, where you're at now. And so mm-hmm. most of my guests are almost all public school. I've had very few, if any, private school, just because I haven't met as many people there. Um, mm-hmm. But can you just talk about what, what was that like? Was there any kind of difference? Or I mean, obviously, it's just kind of all you knew. But like, did you notice any things from going through, you know, um, more, uh, you know, Trinity Lutheran that, that you found interesting? Um, the one thing that really always sticks out to me is, again, number one, the diversity. Um because it was the the private school was almost kind of open like you know people did have to pay tuition and things like that but you know there were um scholarships available stuff like that you know um so i went to school with a lot of different kids from many different backgrounds um like you know me for example i grew up a single mom uh dad wasn't in the picture a whole lot 
Um, and so I went to school with kids who also had single parents, whether it was a single mom, a single dad. Um, but we, you know, we were still going to this private school. So for me, I didn't really see again, much of a difference. Cause that's all I knew. But I think about the kids that I, I grew up with. I mean, there's kids that, you know, I'm a coach. I know too. Uh, he's my birthday twin. We had the same birthday. Uh, and, you know, he's doing political stuff in Washington, D.C. Wow. So a lot of us just took so many different backgrounds and we all keep up with each other. That's another cool thing. Um, because we were so close, there was I think the biggest our class ever got was about 32 ish kids. Um, but it usually sat around that 20 to 30 ish range. And so I went to kid went to school with kids from 18 months all the way up until we were in eighth grade. And I mean, there was a core group of us that stayed together that whole time. And those are the ones that I definitely keep up with. Man, that's really cool. And I actually, I actually just looked this up because I've heard of Trinity Lutheran. I know exactly where this is at. This is right across from the Firestone where I used to go get my tires rotated. Yes. Yeah, that, that old Firestone, the old uh, Houston uh, Police Department is, is right yep. next door as well. So really cool though, what you're describing with that class of 32 and being from, you know, little you know daycare through middle school like mm -hmm. it's a small town feel right in the yep. shadow of one of you know the third fourth biggest city in the united states of america so mm -hmm. i think that's really cool you know you mentioned you believe that's the foundation of who you are and as we get into your career i mean you you've been at northbrook splendora very polar opposites demographically and it sounds mm -hmm. like that that diversity you experienced as a child has helped you kind of blend in, you know, wherever you go. But mm -hmm. let's, let's talk about as far as, you know, you, you get started at Trinity Lutheran. Uh, you said your mom remarried right before you went to high school and you end up moving out to kind of more where you're currently at to that Porter Kingwood area. Mm -hmm. And you attended uh, Porter High School, hashtag go Spartans. Yeah, as far as baby, you know, and, uh, you know, it's funny because I I definitely remember Porter because I, I coached at Ridgepoint in Fort Bend. And at mm -hmm. that time, at that time, there were several new schools starting right around that same mm -hmm. time. So us, yourselves, uh, Clear Falls and George mm -hmm. Ranch. Those are four that like just spring to my mm -hmm. mind that we were always kind of running in the same circles because we're just starting. And so I definitely remember New Caney Porter. And I remember when I was teaching at Aldine, a lot of our staff lived in in new Can in porter like a lot of them lived mm -hmm. in that area so it's a place that attracts a lot of educators you know and and, and, and mm -hmm. people of any actually any background but i just noticed that a lot of them the north side teachers at aldine they like the porter area so just describe it it seems like it's a really nice place maybe a nice mm -hmm. mix of like suburban and maybe a little bit of country and so i'm just kind of curious like what what did you what do you think about porter and, and, and growing up there um so I definitely was a culture shock. I will say that. Uh, so when we got out here and then again, especially coming from a private school, um, when we got into kindergarten, you wore a uniform. Um, so, you know, I was so used to that. So when I got out to Porter and again, my, my family is, uh, they're all police background. They work for the okay. city. Awesome. Um, I my grandparents are military, but you know, camo and stuff, I never knew that about like hunting and stuff. Yeah. So that was one big thing, you know, I'm walking into Porter as a freshman and I'm seeing guys with camo jackets and like Jordans on. And I'm like, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> like, yeah. um, so, I mean, it, it, it was a really cool change. I was honestly ready for it. I was over uniforms and the private school type of thing. So I wanted a new experience and, you know, just being out here, the, again, the culture is a little bit different. It's a little bit more slower pace. Right. Um, and the, 
to me, again, this, the suburban area gives you that community feel, um, again, cause I'm going to school. I mean, literally one of my good teammates was my next door neighbor. Yeah. Um, so, so that was really cool to experience. But I mean, other than that, it was, it was a fun time. I enjoyed my four years there. Um, the, my freshman year was the first year it opened. So my class okay. was the, the first class to go all four years. So that was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, just, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I loved it. And I mean, yeah, again, go Spartans. That's go Spartans. Yeah. That's my team. <laughs> well, let's, let's just dive into that a little bit. I mean, the place you've coached, you've never been a part of coaching at a new school and I got to experience it at Ridge Point. So I have my uh, perspectives and opinions from the coach side. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious as a student, what do you guys think about it? And and one one more question before you answer that is: Was it just freshmen and sophomores you started with, or or how many grades were there when you started? So we started with juniors. So we okay, had freshmen, gotcha. sophomore, juniors. Okay. Yes. Um, and you know, I will say, looking looking at, uh, I'm sorry, not Splendor, Porter now, um, you can see that there is buy-in uh, in the athletics. There's that yeah. school pride there's the the more established piece of the school is there so as an athlete you know they were trying to establish new traditions establish certain things and you know sometimes you know I mean as a teacher I see it all the time you know high school kids are kind of shy for whatever reason they don't want to kind of put themselves out there a little bit um and so you know we battled with the building of culture um We had some really great coaches. Again, the coach Angela Bell, um, Gober, before she was remarried, uh, you know, she was real big on building culture and that that pride piece, the work that you put in at this school. Um, So I think especially for the basketball program there, I think, you know, that was a huge foundation of what's led them to become where they're at. I totally agree with that. I think that's a great point that you make because the, the good part is you you get you get everything's fresh, right? So you can kind of as a coach, mm-hmm. you can put your your stamp and you know and, and your mm-hmm. your footprint on or your fingerprint on it. The drawback is, you know, the students you're getting, they're not necessarily used to being in leadership positions, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you started with juniors, that means that when they were a sophomore, they were somewhere else. They're at New Caney, right? So, yes. and you, you do kind of battle that, like the kids will still be wearing like New Caney hoodies and stuff, maybe the first year mm-hmm. or two, and you're trying to get them to put the Porter gear on and really buy in. And then on, another thing is a lot of times in districts, if they were varsity at their old school, this happened to us, if they were varsity at Hightower Elkins, they got to stay. You know, and so I don't know if did you have that as well, that if, if you were varsity at New Caney, you, you could stay there and elect not to go to Porter or was everyone in the zone forced to go to Porter? Uh, so I believe so. They got a choice um, got a choice, because right. there were there were some kids that I know and again, specifically basketball. Um, there were some athletes that they were on the basketball team over at New Caney. And yeah. when they split, it created this huge divide. Sure. Um, and. I don't know how many people know this, but for a while there, while they were finishing up Porter High School and getting everything ready, they separated the high school already. So if you were going to Porter, you went to a certain part of New Caney High School. And if you were in New Caney, you were going to this other side. So there was already a division starting to happen before the two schools already divided. Um, And that definitely fed into the rivalry type stuff those first few years for sure yeah and, and also and I, I i love that you you really went into detail with that because that does kind of that that does happen i remember some of the kids that were coming to us at ridge point 
they got taken out of the off season where they were at. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, the, the coaches at the old school, they're like, Hey, you're not with us anymore. And we don't necessarily, some coaches will still let you go through off season. Some of them say, Hey, I'm not going to train you. You're going to be our competitor next year. Mm-hmm. And so that, that happens a lot. It sounds like maybe it happened at new Caney where the Porter kids were kind of just mm-hmm. <laughs> pushed off to the side a little bit. So mm-hmm. all that leads to maybe it can be a little bit of a slow start at first and a little bit of a feeling out process, but over time, these new schools oftentimes do very, very well. Now, your background, really cool. I'm going to read I'm gonna read through this real quick. You played varsity basketball all four years, varsity softball all four years. You were in track. You were competed in regionals your junior year in the four-by-two. And then I like this part of the story. For fun, you played volleyball your freshman year, and you made you're on the JV, so pretty impressive there. Mm-hmm. And then you didn't play again until senior year. In the fall, you got the itch to go back there on the court, and you picked uh-huh. it back up. And then your coaches in softball, uh, you were coached by Jackie Dixon, freshman through junior year, Becky Short, your senior year, the Angela uh, Gober mm-hmm. Bell uh, in, in basketball, Tony Tobias was your track coach, and Ashley Wade was your volleyball coach. But just looking back on, on any of those things you want to touch on as an athlete at Porter High School, just what, what are some of the things or some of your memories that, that you look back fondly on? Oh, man, I, I, if any of my coaches are listening, I'm sorry for the athlete that I was. I was so stubborn. <laughs> um But no, I mean, I really just, I, I'm an athlete. I enjoyed athletics so much. Um, The only reason I made it through college and high school was because of athletics Um, and Kelsey and Marty Swinho. Thank you guys. Um, But uh, I mean, I just, it it all happened so fast. Um, Getting thrown in as a freshman on varsity in softball I was a little bit more confident because I had been playing softball since I was three years old um I picked up playing basketball when I was in the third grade um and I actually quit softball a little bit to pursue basketball because I was like I'm in love with this game like this is awesome um so for me the a really big foundational piece came from basketball um because coach bell uh whether she believes it or not she molded me mentally into somebody that if I, I truly believe if I would have never met her, I would not be the person I am today. Um, the, the mentality, the grit, the intensity of which she ran practices, the way she coached us. Um, at the time I didn't like it, but I absolutely needed it. There was always something that was bringing me back to her. Um, and that was a big reason why I stopped playing volleyball, uh, after my freshman year, because I was like, you know what? I recognize she, she loves what she does. She's intentional about it. And I can really grow as an athlete under her. Um, so, and again, not taking anything away from our volleyball coaches, Chrissy Ingle, she was a great coach at that time. Um, but I just, again, I just had a connection with coach bell and, uh, again, whether she believes it or not, she, she, she changed my life for sure. No, and I, I love I love hearing those kinds of things, and especially it, it's interesting. I mean, you 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 were involved in so many different sports, so mm-hmm. that was pretty cool that you got to sample so many different coaches. I mean, for me, I I just did football, and then track was a lot of times an extension of football, and so mm-hmm. I, I kind of wish I had that ability like you did to play like you know all these like you know softball, basketball, and volleyball. Those are three very separate you know skill sets, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and so I just think it's really cool that that you got to experience all those things you got to be going to regionals and track and field. Like I I got to do that one time as well, my senior year. So it's just, that's just such an elite level of competition, you know? So I just, 
I think that's really cool, you know, that, that you get to be mm-hmm. a part of that. So after a very successful high school career, getting, uh, getting it started there at, at a new Caney Porter, you end up going to San Jacinto college uh, South and you, you love the hashtags here. You go hashtag go coyotes to play. Yes. Softball. And you know, let's talk about that. Let's, let's talk about that portion there. So what was it like? I mean, um, I actually, I've, I've had some, I've, I've had a, I have a, a family friend that I believe, uh, did you ever come across Alexis Estrada? Were those some of the same years you played? That name sounds really familiar to me, actually. She may be a little older, um, but she's yeah. a good family friend of mine. I know she pitched at San Jack, and then she ended up going to uh, Embry-Riddle in Florida to finish her okay. softball career. But anyhow, and she was a Travis Tiger. Like I mentioned, my guest Katie Kilgore is now the head coach of the Travis Tigers. But mm-hmm. anyhow, well, what was it like? I, I know that um, obviously Alexis had a lot of success, you know, going from San Jack to continue on for her softball career. So mm-hmm. I know she really enjoyed it. What, what was your uh, what was your memory? of playing softball at San Jack? Oh, my memories. Um, too many to count. Uh, I really enjoyed my two years there. Again, whether Coach Signs believes that or not, because her and I, I, I could tell you stories about her and I going at it for, for days. And um, I mean, yeah. I, I gave my fair share of bucking the system. And um, But again, see, uh, the junior college level is a, such a different level than, you know, a four-year, whatever division you want to talk about, D1, D2, D3, and AIA, you know, whatever. It's such a different feel. And for us at San Jack, I will say, looking at some of my friends who were at other DUCOs, we were very privileged financially. Um, we lived in our own apartment, so we did not have to live in dorms. And, you know, that that comes with the territory of, you know, college kid living their life, you know, Wherever your mind wants to take you with us being on our own, that's probably <laughs> what we were doing. <laughs> right, right, right. But, um, I mean, San Jack definitely, where, for where I was in my life, you know, um, just a, kind of a little backstory. I, you know, I, I used to say I was kicked out of high school or out of my house when I was 18. Um, but, you know, deep, when I look back on it as an adult, you know, I made a choice. I made a choice to you know, take that step out on my own because I did not want to live under the rules that my mom was giving me. And, um, especially, and I mean, just to be completely honest with that, it had everything to do with, you know, my sexuality and being gay. And my mom was like, you know, if you want to live that life, you're not, you you can be here, but you're not going to live that life or you can go. And so I made a choice very early on to say, I'm not, I'm not going to, hide who I am. I'm going to be my own person and I'm going to figure it out. And that's honestly my mom's biggest line growing up was always figure it out. She didn't have time to sit around and babysit us. She was too busy working, putting food on the table, that type of thing. Um, so that's, that's where I got some of that piece for me. Um, but because San Jack was also, we were so blessed financially, it helped me be on my own. Um, I was able to get my school was completely paid for. I did the FAFSA. I got scholarships that helped me pay for Sam Houston and my living there and things like that. So, um, I mean, I, a big choice, but it, it really put me out there and said, you know, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this and we're going to, you know, just, just do our thing. And, you know, here I am. And again, San Jack put that, put that dog in me for sure. Like you're either going to sink or swim and it is what it is, but it's going to be what you make it type of thing. And coach, man, I, I love you being so forthright with that. And this is, you're actually the first, first guest where this topic has come up. And if, do you mind discussing a little more? No, no we I, can. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Because I mean, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure, especially as t- when you were going through it, it was probably even more difficult uh, to come out and speak up. And, and those, those reactions you had from your mom, I'm sure were very common amongst mm-hmm. other athletes you know, that were in your same situation. So can you give any advice for maybe if any of my listeners maybe are, are struggling through some of the same things or, or, you know, are very, you know, what, what can you share to get through that? Cause I can only imagine it had to be really, really difficult time. I think my biggest advice, no matter where you are, whether you're listening and, you know, you're a middle school age kid, or, you know, you are someone who is in their career and like struggling with that, you know, whatever. Um, my biggest advice would always be to just speak your truth. And whatever it is, it can be your sexual orientation. It can be about your faith, you know, whatever it is, it's just, you know, just to speak your truth and the people, the people who love you will always love you. And, you know, my, the relationship with my mom and, you know, it almost re, so I didn't have a relationship with my dad kind of growing up, but when this happened, that kind of opened the door to open a relationship with my dad. Okay. And when this did happen, it shut off a relationship with my mom that sure. I had. Sure. So, um, but again, back to the piece of the people who love you are going to love you again, no matter where you're at, what you do, who you are, who you love type of thing. Um, they're always going to be there because the relationship with my mom now is 10 times stronger than awesome. what it used to awesome. be. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it gave us a huge perspective. And I and I really think I'm so stubborn and headstrong. And my mom is just, I mean, it is just constantly growing up. We were going at it all the time. And um, I think that stubbornness in me to tell her, no, I'm not going to stay here. I'm not going to almost take the easy route to for her to be comfortable. Um, it it made her have to think about different perspectives. And if I want my daughter in my life. I'm going to have to, you know, change. And I mean, she, the way she speaks and not only about this topic of, you know, sexual orientation, but the way she speaks about life is completely different than what it used to be. And I'm not going to say that that was all me, but I think that was such a, it was a big impact on both of our lives. I know that for sure. And so I just think for both of us, it gave us such a deeper respect, number one, for our mother-daughter relationship. And two, like life's too short to, you know, hold on to grudges and be upset and be mad at each other. Um, because again, life, life can end at any time for anybody. So just be grateful and, you know, rekindle those relationships. If, you know, you're somebody who's listening and struggling with that, like that, that's definitely my message. Coach, I, I'm so happy Coach Gomez connected us. And I really appreciate you just being so strong to share all that. And I mean, you know, people like uh, these Megan Rapino is our hero to so many young girls around the country, but also you're a hero to a lot of girls too, you know, and that they may never meet a Megan Rapino, but you know, you, you, you have your own uh, generation of girls that are looking up to you. And I just, I, I love the strength that, that you, you showed there. And at the end of the day, you helped everyone grow you know, by, by, by living your truth, you helped everyone be a better version of themselves. So I'm really glad that story had a happy ending, but thank you so much for sharing that. And so, you know, your foundations get started there at San Jack. And then uh, you, you mentioned here for a moment, you've considered not finishing your degree, but at the last moment you decided to head up North on I-45, you transferred to Sam Houston state university in Huntsville. And at that time you elected not to, to continue your softball career, but just to finish off as a student. So just Talk about that decision. Was that difficult? Because I know all of you even said at the beginning, you said, you know, you identified yourself as an athlete. 
And so for all of us, when that day comes and it's coming for all of us, when we're no longer an athlete, mm -hmm. it can be difficult. So I'm curious for you, was that a difficult transition for you at Sam to not continue playing or, or what were your experiences at Sam Houston? Um, so again, being at San Jack, I knew I'm like, I can, if I want to continue my career, I can. Um, but again, based off of how my life kind of started of, you know, young adult independence, you know, making that jump to really figure it out on my own. Um, I wasn't thinking about softball anymore. I was thinking about, okay, what, how can I make money? What's going to be my next step? You know, how am I essentially going to survive? Um, so the quickest way was, okay, let me become a personal trainer and I'll work my way up through the ranks. Um, also anybody who knows me, I am not a fan of school or at least I was at that time. I did not value education the way I do now. Um, um, and so I was like, I'm over it. I'm done with it. Um, and so, you know, as I'm sitting there and I, we're closing up my sophomore year at San Jack and I, you know, I have to make a decision. What am I going to do? Um, one of my best friends from high school, Kelsey Ewart, uh, she reaches out and she's like, Hey, you know, we we're going to Sam Houston. We, you know, we need an extra roommate, you know, essentially, do you want to come? And I was kind of just like in the spot where, I don't really want to grow up completely yet, but I also, you know, I need to figure it out. And so I was like, you know what? I think I can figure it out and do both. So I decided to uh, apply, got accepted to Sam Houston, um, went up there, did the thing. And I mean, for me as an athlete, I, I have always had the perspective of my career was going to end. Um, I knew somewhere down the road, whether, I mean, I had dreams of playing in the WNBA. I had dreams of, you know, being an Olympic athlete. I, you know, I had all the big dreams that, you know, athletes at a young age have. Um, but there was one day I just realized, you know what, I can't do this forever. And so that's where actually my, um, my idea of becoming a coach came to be like came to fruition. Cause I was like, okay, if I can't be an athlete forever, then what's the next best, best thing. And then it was, Oh, you know, um, I can coach it. So, yeah, yeah. um, and in order to coach, you have to have a four year degree, um, at least, you know, in the public school realm. Uh, so that was also a motivating factor because yes, I love, I just love helping people. Like I want people to be the best versions of themselves. That's something that I strive to do on a daily basis, you know, show up, wake up, do your best. Um, and so if I can help other people do that along the way, then I absolutely want to do that. And uh, so, yes, personal training, I think I would have thrived in that area. But now having finished my degree, um, I studied under, you know, some great professors at Sam Houston in the Kines department and education department. Uh, again, I was a Kines major, secondary ed minor. Um, and when I tell you my eyes just completely opened and I was like, you know, I knew my life was about to change and I was stepping into what I was called to do. Um, so that was a really good feeling when I finally walked across that stage. I know my grandmother was like thanking God every step of the way. Cause you know, she was always worried about what I was going to do with my life and things like that. Um, so I think it was a huge relief for everybody and um, truly a, a blessing for me. And I'm so happy that I made that decision. Cause again, here I am now and, I would, I wouldn't have been here if I would have made a, a choice to go the other direction. And so, and I always ask this question, like when you started college, did you know you wanted to coach? It sounds like initially you were going to make a career out of the, more of the personal training. Is that accurate? Or, mm -hmm. or did you kind of like, when you, did you always kind of, 
I guess, when did that switch happen to where you be decided you wanted to coach? Was it kind of in the middle or towards the very end or? So when I was in the third grade, I knew I wanted to be a coach. Awesome. Uh, okay. Yeah. I picked up a basketball and I was again in love with basketball and I was like, I want to play in the WNBA, like, because that was really the only from, from me growing up and what we were listening to and watching the WNBA was the only women's professional sport that I was seeing, you know, on, you know, on TV or hearing it on the radio. And again, even though it wasn't that promoted, that was the one I was hearing. Um, But again, down the road, I was like, okay, WNBA, like that's, that's a hard thing to do. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of effort. And even if I get there, I'm not going to, I can't do that forever. Um, So again, the, about the third, fourth grade, that's when I decided I wanted to be a coach. And then just solely based off of, again, how my young adult life started, that kind of put me in the mindset of, you know, this is kind of, it would almost be like settling. It's the next best thing. I know I can be good at it. I can achieve something here. Um, but again, there was, I'm, I'm not a settler by any means. Yeah. And I think I put, I put myself in situations sometimes where I feel like I'm about to settle. And then there's just, there's something in me that's like, this isn't right. I, I won't be able to live my full happy life if I make this choice. And are you saying and, you were going to settle for the personal training? Is that what you're Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Settle. I mean, again, cause you, you don't really have to have a degree to do that. I mean, you can go get you a certification right. and I mean, there's all different types and you can just go out and, you know, start promoting yourself and getting clients and making money and all that. And, um, again, I just knew that would be, even though I'd be good at it, it wasn't, it wasn't what I was called to do. No, absolutely love that story. So you kind of knew. So I imagine as soon as you were finishing up at Sam, I guess at that point it became the search for a job, correct? Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, no, yes. let's start. But besides like going into your public school, you also mentioned that I mean, outside of this the school setting, you coached with Michelle Rashinsky for a couple of years for a travel ball organization, and then from there you did your student teaching at Lake Creek and coached uh, there for a bit as a student teacher. So um, mm-hmm. the travel ball of Coach. Rash- uh, Rashinsky, was this happening like while you were still a student at Sam or what was the timeline? Yes. So I got connected with uh, Coach Roach when I was a junior in, okay. in college. Um, I actually took lessons from her when I was in high school. My grandparents lived in Montgomery and they wanted me to go play for her because, you know, she obviously has shown her record here in the last few years uh, being back to back state champs. Yeah. I mean, so she yeah. knows what she's talking about. Um, but no, it started my junior year. Uh, I honestly can't remember exactly how we got reconnected. Um, but I knew I was living in the, in the, at that time I was living in Huntsville. I knew I was going to move to the Montgomery Conroe area. I had ties there. Um, and so that, I mean, that's where it got picked up. I started coaching a 10 team for her and, uh, it was exactly the team I did not want. I'm like, I don't want to coach eight year olds. I don't want to coach nine year olds or 10 year olds. I want to coach the high school athletes. And that was honestly the perfect progression for me because I coached the 10 year olds, um, got bumped up to the 12 U and moved up with that group. And that group ultimately became her high school team. Um, and got to coach them a little bit when they were in high school as a student teacher. And so that was, I mean, it was just a really cool experience for me. Uh, I learned so much about just softball organization. Her and I spoke the same softball language. Um, but again, I knew, and I believe she knew too, that deep down, you know, her and I, as much as we 
you know, respected each other and we valued each other's opinions. Um, I think we both knew that we can't work in the same space um, simply because of who she is as a dominant coach. And I had a fire in me that I am a dominant coach. Um, So, you know, two, two can't, can't live in the same space for very long. Uh, And so, um, so yeah, so under that, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to apply for some head jobs. If I get some calls, if not, again, I need a job. I was willing to go anywhere. Um, I'm not afraid to move or, you know, uproot everything and just go. Um, and so I was my mentor teacher, Tommy Sledge. She is the head volleyball coach at Oak Ridge right now. Um, and, uh, she gave me her login to the TGCA so I could look on the job boards and all the things. And I came across Northbrook and, you know, I pulled their record up and they were, Oh, and you know, whatever. And I just, there was something about it that was in me that was like, I can make them better. And, um, if I get a call, great. And if I don't, I'll end up getting a job somewhere else. So I had yeah. big faith that I was going to end up somewhere. Um, it was just a matter of where. And so I put myself out there and, um, you know, I got a call a couple of days after I graduated from Sam Houston, uh, went in and interviewed with, uh, coach Seba and, um, Ed Ramirez. He was the head softball coach at the time. And they, you know, they were looking for, basically someone like me, someone who, you know, had the passion, really loved softball, was going to take care of the program. And, um, they, they took a huge leap of faith hiring me right out of college for a six, a program. Um, so I'm grateful for it. And I, I would not trade that for anything. Okay. I got a, I got a couple questions for you out of that coach. First of all, I, I, Coach Roach, I didn't even put two and two together because obviously I, as a fan of high school sports, I know all about Lake Creek softball. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know Michelle Roszynski was that same coach. So thank you mm-hmm. for pointing that out. I, I'm a little starstruck that, you know, you're, you're, she's a big time heavy hitter. So it's really mm-hmm. cool that you got to, to work with her. But I noticed you mentioned this while you were a player at San Jack. You, you know, you said you and coach kind of butted heads a little bit. And then as a coach, you know, with, a, with another dominant coach like yourself, you kind of mm-hmm. butted heads a little bit. I think back to my coaching days and sometimes those players that give us the most pushback and the most guff, you know, it's like at the end, they're the ones that love you the most, you know, and and you build that kind of special bond. I see, you know, I see you kind of nodding your head. I I know you said that about, you know, your San Jack experience too. Can you, can you dive into that a little bit? Cause now you're, now you're the head coach. Mm -hmm. Do you, are you experiencing that same thing? We have certain players that push back and it's probably frustrating at the time, but you, you know, I'm just curious on that whole dynamic when you do have that, that uh, personality clash or whatever we want to call it. What do you recommend for my coaches listening? How do you handle those situations? What is the best way to proceed in those situations? Well, number one, I always reflect and I'm like, I see you and me. And (laughs) I, yeah, I remember who I was, I was as a, as a teenage athlete, you know, all the things you have going on, you have, you know, the Friday night lights games, you have the friends, you have the social life that you're all trying to balance the school, the athletics. Do I really want to do, I mean, there's so many things that are going on. So number one, I always put the perspective into, I was there. Um, and I think as a young coach, that's easy for me to do. So if you are an older coach listening, I would just encourage you to, you know, how were you when you were in high school, you know, and, and just think about that for a little bit. And I know times have changed and kids are different, but at the same time, kids are kids. Um, and even when you think they know better, they, they don't. And that's where it's your job to help guide them and reassure right. them like, Hey, you, you're going to trust me. You know, I have faith in you. 
and here's how, here's our solution. Here's what we're going to do next. Um, so yeah, number one is the perspective of that you were there at one time and you weren't perfect either. And um, number two, how can you get them to see your perspective so that ultimately they reach their full potential and you get the, again, you get your, you get what you want out of them. Um, but it's all kid centered. I think, you know, again, as a young coach, I'm in, the, I'm headed into my fifth year professionally as a head coach. And I just think about, I feel so close to it still. I still feel, I feel very young at heart. Um, the energy is there. So I, I feel like I was just there. So it's easy for me to reflect back on that. Um, but that's one thing I really try to hold on to is taking that moment to really just step back, process, listen to what they're saying, because the majority of the time, it's not about you. It's not about what you're telling them to do. Um, it's really about, they probably had a really crappy day. Somebody, they, again, they're kids. They didn't want to get up that morning. Like it, a lot of the times it has nothing to do with you as the head coach um, or an assistant coach for that matter. It, it doesn't have to do with you. Um, so just allowing them to process their emotions and being patient with your athletes in that. Um, I think a lot of the coaches that I was coached by, they were still under that, uh, you're going to do as I say, and right. you're, I'm not going to give you a why. And I was very much a player who, I mean, I have a brain like that just doesn't sound right to me. It sounds stupid. It sounds redundant. Why are we doing this? I feel like there's a better way. And so that, that for me is why. So when I get that from players, I almost kind of smile a little bit because yeah. I'm like, okay, you, you do care. You just don't know how to show me you care yet. And now we're going to figure out a way to get on the same page and get our verbiage right and make sure that we understand each other. Um, because a coach and player to me, in my opinion, the coach and player relationship is shared. Um, at the end of the day, the program, number one, it's not my program. It's not, it is Splendora's program. Right. Um, you know, if, whether I'm here until I retire, even then somebody will come after me and, and take over that position. Um, so it's, it's a shared understanding of, we have pride in the same thing and we ultimately want the same thing. Now, how can we get there? I love it. I mean, I love it, man. Some, some of the key takeaways, uh, to me is just understanding, like you said, it may, it's not you coach, right? It may not be you. It might've been something that happened this morning at home. And I'll, I'll share later when we get to another segment. Like I, I was that kid leaving a house that was full of filled with arguing and violence and just trauma and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So not, not a lot of physical violence, but just extreme emotional violence and screaming all the time. Mm -hmm. that, that's my environment I grew up in. So like I was that kid wanting to drive out of that house. Like I was like, get me the hell out of here. Let me get to school. Let me get to my coaches. So that does weigh on a kid though. And so I, I completely, I love what you say there. I think back to my times coaching, I, I need to keep that in mind at times. You know, if you feel like, Oh, this, this kid's being disrespectful or not, or not following our team rules or expectations. Like maybe there is something going on. So I think that's excellent that you highlighted that. I like what you talked about getting the verbiage, right you know, and just making sure that we're, we're understanding what each other are saying. So I, I think lots of great tips there. Now I find it interesting. And you know, if you coach long enough, there, there's an old kind of saying, and you're going into your fifth year and you've, you've already seen a lot through a long playing career as well. You kind of see it all as a coach. My first ever year as a football coach was 13 and one. My last ever year was all in 10. And so like you do it long enough, you kind of see it all. I really am drawn to the fact that you saw that winless record at Northbrook and you were drawn to that. 
I was kind of the same way at Aldine, you know, the times I was drawn to trying to go to that program. Um, but I've lived through an 0 10 season as a, as the head coach. And you, you said you lived through something similar, or at least Northbrook was like that when you first got there. How do you, for all the coaches listening that are in programs that are really, you know, winning 20% or less of their games mm-hmm. uh, over time, some bad things can happen, right? Like either just mm-hmm. lack of like, apathy, like I don't, we don't care or just super negativity mm-hmm. or we know we're never going to win. Why are we doing this? How do you combat that? And especially someone like yourself, you've, you've been in like, you know, uh, really high, uh, high elite situations. How do you combat when, when there's just been so many strings of losses and maybe that can start setting in on a program? What's the best way to combat against that feeling? Um, to me, it goes back to what's really important. Um, and what's really important is number one, I'm not just preparing kids to, to be softball athletes. Yeah. I'm not yeah. just preparing them to continue to the next level. Like their career will end, whether it ends after high school or whether it ends after college, whether they make it to eventually somewhere down the line, it's going to be over for them. Um, and how relentless are you going to be when life hits you in the face type of thing. So having the relentless mentality, number one, I think for me, looking back at my career at Northbrook, um, I'm, I'm just competitive. I, I love the underdog. I kind of feel like even though I was blessed with athletic abilities, I had friends who, and I rallied around people who like weren't as good as I was and I wanted them to be, you know, up at my level. So I'm going to do what I can as a teammate to bring you along too. like, you're, you're coming up here with me. You don't get to be back there. Um, And so as a coach that completely went into my coaching of, you know what, I don't care if, you know, we don't have a batting cage. I don't care if, you know, we have all these things going on. Like there, there are just so many things that are, I don't care. And it's a, so what mentality and a relentless pursuit of, I mean, we are going to show up and do work and we're going to wake up again and we're going to do it again. And for me, that that's something that's just it. It's in me. And I believe it's in a lot of coaches, too. And I just think sometimes it's easy for me to say because I'm a young coach and I get that a lot. And they're like, you have the energy, you have this, you have that. But, it, you know, it might fade off and it might do this. And I'm like, I refuse to let it fade off. Like if this is where we're going to start. I can only imagine where I'm about to finish. And so I think if, you know, you are that coach that is seasoned and, you know, you're in your 10th, 15th year and, you know, you're starting to see the, you know, decline a little bit in your season. um, Again, eventually you're going to have to harvest again. So continue to plant seeds, you know, like continue to to put that in and, and coach them the way that you coached when you were 10 and 0. Um, because I firmly believe like who you are in times of adversity and who, and how you show up for people, um, that that's really who you are. You know, if you, if it's hard for us to show up when things are hard, I mean, that can say a lot and it's not saying that you're a bad person or you're a bad coach, but I think you might want to reflect on that a little bit. Like, okay, you know what, because again, to be a coach, you're competitive some way, shape or form. Um, and again, it's, it's just showing up and being relentless and not taking no for an answer. Like I'm not going to have a season like this again. And when you as the leader of the program feel that way and walk around that way, whether your kids know it or not, they, you, they start to share your verbiage. Definitely. They start to walk around with their head up and their shoulders back a little bit. Um, they start to believe because you, 
they feel it from you. And so the, what you give off is what you're going to get back. And I, again, what you demand is what you're going to get back to. And, you know, for me, I, when I was at Northbrook, for sure, I demanded that we were not going to walk around like losers. We were not going to walk around like our season was, oh, and whatever. Um, and so again, that, that really, to me, showed my love. It, it showed me like, hey, we're doing the right thing here. And it showed me how much I just, I love my profession. Uh, great. I mean, totally agree. I mean, you're, I totally agree with you that kids are going to take on the personality of their leader. And so I, I, I love what you shared there. Now, also with, uh, you, you know, Coach Gomez was the one that connected us. I know Coach Siba hired mm-hmm. you, but obviously you and Coach Gomez and I had, had a good run there together in, mm-hmm. in your time at Northbrook. Can you just, can you speak to your experience working with, with Andres? Oh man. Okay. Um, I, it, it's hard to put and condense it down, but I, I'll, I'll say this. So anybody who's ever worked at Northbrook knows what I'm talking about. When I say it, it's a struggle, like it's a struggle academic, academically, it's a struggle, you know, just with, with district it's, it's a struggle with the culture and the athletic culture specifically as a coach. Um, so I remember being there and feeling like nobody around me shared my vision and, um, I also am not about to waste my breath trying to get people to come along knowing like, okay, you're stuck in your ways. Like I'm, I, I planted a seed. I did my job, but I also have to worry about, you know, my future, the future of this program. Um, so I remember praying to God one time and I was like, I just need one more person like me. That's it. I need one. If I can have one, I guarantee we can, we can make a change and do something different. And sure enough, like that, you know, Siba ended up leaving halfway through um, my first year and they hired Coach Gomez for that second semester and started bringing him in a little bit. Um, And when I met him and he, you know, he gave his little speech about being 1% better and, um, you know, talking about is, you know, what what you see is ultimately like where you're going to go type of thing. Um, I just remember thanking God because I'm like, there's my one. And um, I was so, I was, super excited to work with him. Um, we share a lot of the same philosophies. We share a lot of not only philosophies of coaching, but life philosophies. Um, he's very much a grateful, he wants to work type of guy. Um, and just a good positive attitude. And that's, those are the people I wanted to be surrounded by. And so, um, Again, he again there. I'm not going to say we always agreed on things. I mean, because, again, I'm thinking of my, the, the softball program, sure, this sure, and that. Sure, and, you know, sure. he's the athletic director thinking about right. everybody. Um, so I, I always understood that leading conversations. But I mean, again, he he was just such a helpful. He's a brother to me. He, he will always be a big brother. And um, if I ever get the chance to work with him or under him again, I, I would absolutely do it in a heartbeat. Awesome. No, I, mean, I love hearing that. And I mean, that, that, I like that you pointed out that fact of how, because I remember thinking that when I was sitting in Andres' seat at Aldine and you're the, you're the campus athletic coordinator, remembering that, you know, even the, though you may disagree at times, because again, like you said, Coach Gomez is looking for the whole campus, understand that these other coaches are all fighting for their programs. So, I mean, it's to be expected mm-hmm. that they're going to come in there with passion for their programs. And so, yeah, I love, mm-hmm. I love that distinction that you made there. Now, um, as far as that, so as far as Northbrook, you know, you're there, you're enjoying it. Was it just the opportunity to kind of return back, you know, sort of to your backyard and that kind of part of the city? Was that the, was that the draw to Splendora? I'm, I'm curious, what was the draw to, to head uh, back up to the Northeast side and, and go to Splendora? Um, so I, I'm going to keep this story 
I'm very politically correct um, okay. <laughs> and try to keep my emotions out of it. Um, but so again, being at Northbrook, again, anybody who's there knows it's it's hard to make change, um, um, especially Spring Branch. And I mean, any district, they, they want things done a certain way. And for me, being there on my third year, there were certain things that I'm like, hey, I brought these to your attention. Why are we not, why are we not moving? Um, do I'll never know if things were going to move. Cause you know, I'm not there anymore, but you know, for me, I was very frustrated with how things were, things were happening, um, as a district upper athletic district standpoint, uh, trickling down to specifically the softball program. And, um, there was a day right before we were leaving for spring break, my last season there. And I look up and I'm like, I'm counting my kids and I'm like, I only have, uh, six kids to play. And so then I'm thinking, okay, how many kids can I pull up from the JV? And, uh, out of the ones that I could pull up, I only had one. So that left us with seven kids getting ready to play and I'm trying to figure out, okay, what can we do? There's gotta be a way. So I'm sitting down with Andreas telling them we're, you know, we tried to pull the bad weather card because we had awful weather coming in that Friday. Wow. Um, we were playing Cy Fair and, you know, um, you know, the Cy Fair coach was like, you know, coach, um, it's going to be good enough to play and my kids aren't going to be here on Saturday. So again, things just weren't going our way. And I was just real fed up with, you know, I'm so passionate about what I do and it's not the kid's fault because I look, I know the demographic that was there and I know where those kids were coming from. So I don't want anybody to think that I did not understand that because I absolutely did. And so I understood from that piece, but the piece of my spirit that was so passionate about coaching could not wrap my brain around why I didn't have all my kids there. Um, and so we, we decided we're going to play the JV game. Um, we'll cancel the varsity game. And I'm, I cried a little bit cause I was like, I can't believe I'm having to forfeit a, a game cause right. I just don't have enough kids. And, um, so again, long story short, we're getting ready to get on the bus to go play our JV game. And, uh, coach Gomez comes running out on his phone and, uh, he has our executive district athletic director on the phone and, uh, Basically, long story short, uh, the conversation was very heated. And for me, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. And I just, I, and I'll leave it this way. The way I was, I'm not gonna say the way I was spoken to, but the way the conversation went about just sounded like, like the only person that's ever talked to me like that is my mom. And so I was, I was just fired up because I felt a little bit disrespected. I felt unheard. I felt like you've been hearing me, you know, complain about these things and I try to find solutions and we haven't found any. So there was just this level of frustration that I had not felt in a very long time, like, like almost adolescence, like that much emotional frustration. And um, so I basically, you know, she said, you know, we're, we're going to figure something out and I'll call you back in a little bit, but you need to go to your office and get X, Y, Z and blah, blah, blah. And I just said, yes, ma'am. And I tried to hold it together because all my kids are on the bus. And so I really tried body language, all that. Um, but you know, the moment I got into that gym and there was nobody in that gym, uh, 
I threw my hand into a wall and I broke my hand. Oh. And yeah. And so when, when I broke my hand, not only did I feel my hand break, but I just felt my spirit break. And I felt like, you know, I know I'm doing good here, but why do I feel so unheard? And why do I feel so, um, almost unappreciated a little bit because I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was putting into my program. Um, but again, people who don't work with you on a daily basis, don't see that. Um, it was easy for Andres to see it because he was right there with me. He was doing the same thing with the football program still is. Um, but you know, for me, I almost felt alone on this little Island. Like nobody understands me. Nobody gets it. And Nobody will, because again, if you have not worked at Northbrook, I can sit here and tell you things all day and you still won't understand the level of frustration because it's just, I mean, there's a lot that goes on. And, uh, but so I knew, and then, and again, we went and we ended up playing the varsity game. We figured out a way to get it done. And, um, but I spent that whole spring break with a broken hand and broken spirit trying to figure out, can I sustain being here? any longer. Um, and you know, by the end of spring break, I decided like, I think it's time for me to move on. And that was, that was one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make. Um, because it felt like I was making a decision that it, it affected me, but it affected my kids, my, my athletes. And I was so invested in them and I love them so unconditionally. And, um, oh my, I, kind of want to cry about it because I think those kids, those kids will never understand the amount of saving they did for me. Um, because I was in a place where I'm really trying to get my feet on the ground and, um, trying to worry about me and how, how am I going to live my life and get my feet off the ground and things like that. And, uh, you know, just struggling with other things, you know, in my personal life, and every day I could show up and those kids, I mean, they, they would have done anything for me. And that became very apparent after, you know, people found out that I was, you know, resigning and not going to come back next year. The amount of feedback and love I got from my kids was, it was heartbreaking, but also it mended my spirit back together at the same time, because I really saw, okay, I connected with these kids. I, I planted seeds that I know will grow one day. And, um, I, I had to live with, with that decision. And, uh, really, um, I didn't know where I was going to go. I just knew I couldn't stay at Northbrook any longer. And so I, I'm a big leap of faith person. You know, when they tell you, you should probably have a job lined up before you resign. Uh, I'm not that person. Um, so I came back and, uh, honestly, I turned my letter of resignation and I finished out the year. Um, but I know it's hard to find coaches. So I wanted them to have as much time as possible. So I turned it in that Monday when we got back, um, turned it in by in the morning, by lunchtime, I somehow got a phone call from the Oak Ridge coach, started talking with them. Um, and then by Wednesday, so that was on Monday by Wednesday, I ended up getting hooked up with coach Sam Brooks here. He's our, uh, athletic coordinator and head football coach at Splendora, good friends with Andreas. That's how I got the connection there. Um, talked to him a little bit. He said, okay, you know, well, we're interested. We'll go ahead and hook you up with HR, get you set up for an interview. HR called me. I got set up for the interview on Friday. I interviewed on Friday. Um, then had a second interview with the principal on Monday, and then they offered me the job on Monday. Um, so it was, um, a big leap of faith. And again, I'm all about taking leaps of faith and seeing where I land and, 
you know, I, I think the leap of faith landed me a position that I would not have gotten if I wouldn't have taken that leap of faith. Uh, but that's, that's how I ended up at Splendora. Right. And, and I guess, again, it does kind of work out nicely. It's, it's right down the road from Porter. So I'm sure that was kind of an added, mm-hmm. an added bonus and, and something reassuring and familiar, you know, for you. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, you talk about sitting there in spring break at an all time low, broken spirit, broken hand, you know, mm-hmm. and I think we can kind of just kind of, that had to be incredibly just, uh, it had to be hard at the time. And I know in mm-hmm. other episodes recently, we've talked about coaches health and mental and physical, uh, uh, David Wilkinson on, on his episode, he shared with us that w- one day he, all of a sudden he was, he's got such an extreme migraine. He lost the use of his, one of his eyes, mm-hmm. you know, and another, another good friend of ours, uh, Sergio Gonzalez, the head football coach at Rayburn, he shared with us at coaching school this past week, you know, he had a heart attack at the end of That's his game crazy. this against uh, Chavez this year. Mm-hmm. And I think for, for what you're describing and you've mentioned it, you know, you're, you're young, you're vibrant, you know, you're full of energy, but even mm-hmm. for all of us, regardless of age, uh, that, that extreme stress can begin to weigh on us. And, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I can empathize with those feelings you had in, in that moment. And, you know, you described Northbrook and I, I, I do understand to an extent being at Aldine, I, I saw some of those same things with, you know, like you mentioned, students may have mm-hmm. other things going on in life that can preclude them from making it to practice or being there, you know, and all those kinds mm-hmm. of things. So I, I totally understand, you know, where you're coming from with that outside, outside of that experience though, you know, you kind of shared your, your process for coaches that, that are like, maybe they've had a moment kind of like when you were sitting in that apartment or you're sitting, sitting at home and, and, you know, when your hand is broken, your spirits are broken. What advice would you give? I know, you, I know your advice is just, Hey, I'm going to just believe and I'm going to strike forward. I mean, is that what, I guess, what advice would you give in that moment? You kind of touched on a little bit. I'm curious, any, can you elaborate just a little bit on an advice you'd give for coaches when they, they do kind of hit that breaking point, you know, that, that you experienced? Again, my, my biggest advice is, you know, what's, what's really important type of thing. Um, I know in, in that moment, I, I had to decide, you know, is, is my, you know, my mental health, my passion for the game, my, is, is this all worth it right here? And, um, ultimately like it comes out to no. And I think as coaches, And, you know, we see this with a lot of our athletes, you know, they get so wrapped up in who they are as an athlete that they, they don't know who they are when, when they, you know, get out of athletics. And so there is that lull of, you know, whether it's depression, anxiety, whatever it is, you know, some people fall into that. And I think when you're a coach who genuinely loves what you do and you are extremely passionate about it, called to do it. Um, and those high intensity emotions that are attached to it, I think it's really important to have a safe space of being able to disconnect and knowing that that, you know, coaching is not our whole life. I know it takes up a huge chunk of our life, but at the same time too, whether you're single and by yourself or you are married and have a beautiful family around you, there is life that is happening that is outside of your world. And for me, a big one, and I'll use this as an example because it recently just happened. Um, I just came back from Fredericksburg with two of my, you know, my my best friends and they're married and, um, you know, we're sitting there and we're just talking and, you know, one of my friends asks, you know, I, I forget specifically what she asked, but the conversation led to me saying, you know, when I'm with the people that I love, I really try to hold on to that moment and just be there. Um, 
because I know down the road, I'm going to have to go back to work. I'm going to have to start planning weight room schedules. I'm going to have to be, you know, I'm going to have to be doing all these things that my job requires the mental capacity for me to do. But in this moment, I have no control of that right now. Um, I only have control of being here with y'all. And um, so in, in those moments, when I get the time to separate, I take a lot more time to just be present where I am. Um, cause I will say when I was at Northbrook headed up to that point, I was so engulfed with everything that was going wrong around me. I, I had a hard time finding what to be grateful for and finding, and, and I mean, it happens to everybody, you know, when you, when you're striving for something and it seems like you're getting knocked down, knocked down, knocked down, it's almost, that's all you see because that's constantly what's being pushed back in your face. Um, And, you know, for that week, when I sat back, I just thought, you know, you know, life isn't like this. This isn't the end of the world. Um, I I know who I am. I know my worth. I know my value. Having that confidence in yourself to know, like, this isn't the end of the world. We are going to get up. We're going to move forward, whether we just take one step at a time or we're going to take a huge leap of faith and where we land. You know, I think But the, the biggest piece is just to always move forward and be grateful for the good, the goodness around you, because it's everywhere, whether the fact that she just woke up this morning, that's something to be grateful for. Um, the fact that you can see a tree that's green, like, you know, some people can't see, you know, full color, some people can't see it all. Right. I mean, there's just so many different perspectives of gratefulness that you can, you know, I mean, just to look out of that lens when things are going wrong, that's, that's helped me. So, I mean, tremendously, not not just in coaching, but in my life, because life isn't perfect either. And everybody has struggles. So that, that keeps me grounded. You know, I, I really like that coach. I, I remember, you know, I, I'm married now. I have a 14 month old son, but when I was at Aldi and, and struggling going through, you know, the and 10 season or just, I put a lot of pressure on myself to, I know, I know that uh, a lot of times when we, on this show, we talk about like the real wise, which is like you've mentioned growing, uh, growing kids that are going to be successful adults, but the competitor in me also feels like I was brought in to do a job. I feel like I'm not doing it by the record. And, you know, you, you, we're all hard on ourselves, you know, as coaches. And at that time I was a bachelor. And so mm-hmm. and that was a bad thing. I feel like, cause I mean, my whole identity became wrapped up mm-hmm. in all the football and all the athletics, you know? And so, like you said, then I guess when your identity is wrapped up in that, those L's or those setbacks kind of just keep hitting you in the face, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I, I really do agree with that. And I, I think, yes, that's excellent advice to just focus on the, on those things that we should be grateful for and happy for. So mm-hmm. man, really, really, really good advice there. I, you reminded me, um, you mentioned having to play side fair. So Jersey village is also in your district, uh, mm-hmm. there. And the, the head softball coach at Jersey village is a close friend of mine as well. I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. Clay Tucker, uh, at all. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So Clay Tucker is a good friend of mine and his wife is Alexis Estrada, who I mentioned earlier was the pitcher at San okay. Diego. So, again, small world, but, uh, small world. everybody's yeah. connected in the coaching world. I don't care where you are, who you're from, what sport you yep. coach. We're all connected somehow. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Now just, I, I would be remiss of course, to not talk about your current situation. So here you are now you're at Splendor. Mm-hmm. Can you just kind of share with the listeners, you know, how it's been for you since you started and, and uh, how you feel about the program? I love it here. I mean, Splendora has been such a breath of fresh air for me. It's exactly what I needed. Um, Again, you know, Dina Eubanks is our athletic director. Her and I, we share a lot of the same philosophies. Um, So it, that was one thing I was nervous about. I'm, I'm kind of a loyal person and I, you know, I have a guard up when I meet new people a little bit and it's, 
Um, just, just cause I, I don't want to put myself out there all the way. And so, you know, when I met coach Eubanks, I was like, okay, new athletic director, but like, I miss Andreas, like <laughs> Andreas was my guy. We bonded a lot. And, um, but again, take, taking that leap of faith and just putting myself out there to, to new things, new people, um, and creating new relationships. And Eubanks has become one of the, the greatest mentors I've, I've ever had. Um, her perspective on things. Again, we, we just share the same philosophies. Um, the, the athletes that we have are, I mean, they, they're something else. They're, they're funny. They're outgoing. They're again, they're a breath of fresh air. Um, a lot of them just, they, they remind me of me. So it makes it easy for me to coach them. And, uh, I mean, the school as a whole, I, again, I just love my job, love where I'm at. Um, I also love the fact, I don't know if you know this story, but we were on the news, the softball program. That was a whole, a whole thing. <laughs> what happened? Yeah. And that, um, okay. So, um, you know, the IHE failure shirts and that, that I whole thing, so. did you ever hear about that? No, I haven't. Okay. So back when I first got, so I'm all about shirts. When I was at Northbrook, our thing was, I am. I, and, and we were bold mission statement type people, um, at Splendora, I noticed there was just a, a little lack of confidence and, um, the confidence came from, you know, when, when shortcomings came, yeah. we, we struggled to pull ourselves up from that. So, um, for me, a lot of those foundational pieces as a coach, they happen in the weight room. You can build a lot of confidence in the weight room and, and a lot of self-confidence. That's important too. The self-confidence is a thing. Like we can be confident in our teammates and things like that, but that self piece, I mean, that's, that's where the, the real, the seed blossoms type of thing. Um, so I kind of got together with, with our coaching staff and, you know, we were, you know, watching different things. We're big into character development. So we're trying to pull different pieces, what's going to fit. And um, I happened to come across uh, Tom Platt's. And he is a bodybuilder guy and he has a video where he's, he's pushing a guy and he's like, just go to failure. You got one more, one more. And, and you see, they keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. And then finally the guy just fatigues out and he's like, congratulations, you've achieved failure. And I was like, I like that a lot. Um, now I know what you're talking so, about. Yeah. I saw it on your yes. Twitter, I think. What, yes. 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 And so for us, it became not so much the weight room piece, but also just a, a relentless mindset to show up specifically when adversity hits and right. things are not going your way. Um, Cause specifically in softball and baseball, you know, you fail a lot more right. than, right. than you succeed. Yeah. Like the whole, I mean, a 300 batting average, Excellent. that's, that's three <laughs> out of 10, you know? Yeah. So, um, so bringing that perspective to, to the girls, to the program, um, so anyway, so we came up with that in October, we touched on it a little bit. I honestly didn't feel like the girls had kind of bought into it quite yet. Season was coming up. And so, um, when we split teams, I told the girls like, here's your team shirts. Cause we have the, I, I achieve failure shirt and the, I choose team shirt, uh, again, which is all about like choosing the team, getting the team job done first. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I told them, I'm like, we're going to retouch up on it. Um, We'll go over it this week before we wear them, all the things, um, and then move on. But sure enough, so I hand the T-shirts out on Monday. I get a call from my athletic director Monday afternoon, and she's like, hey, just, you know, remind me about the shirts. I know we've talked about them, blah, blah, whatever. Um, she goes to a booster club meeting that evening. I get another text saying, hey, your shirts are becoming popular. People are talking about them. Yeah. 
Um, and then Tuesday morning, I'm about to transition to my next class period. And I get a call saying, hey, so your shirts are extremely popular. And uh, they're so popular that we're going to be on the news. <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay. And I was almost in this like, I was excited because I'm like, yeah, we're going to be on the news. But then I'm like, this isn't for a good reason. So <laughs> there was that that mix up of, of emotions a little bit. And yeah. so, uh, so she said, we're going to be on the news. And so I need you to write me a statement as quickly as possible about what the shirt means and means to the program. Right. Um, so I kind of just took a step back because I knew, because so many pieces of me were, were arguing with themselves in that moment. Cause there was the piece of why do I have to explain myself to anybody? This is my program. This is our shirt. This is for us. It's not for anybody else. Like I don't have to explain myself to anybody, but then there right, were like, the some people of, taking it the wrong way. Cause of the, the word failure, yes. I guess parents maybe took it. Is yes, that what happened? So, okay. Yeah. So people, so people kind of the story, the twist on the story was that we gave it to JV players because they failed and didn't make varsity. That oh, was okay. the twist on it. When again, that wasn't the case at all. Right. Um, and so, um, but again, I knew in that moment, I'm like, how we respond to the situation is going to say, number one, everything about me. Right. Number two, yeah, everything yeah, yeah. about what our program represents. Um, and number three, it's a moment to educate people on something that's actually positive that right. people are trying to perceive as negative, but it's actually positive. Like you cannot, you can't twist this around. Like once this comes out, um, so I took my time, wrote a statement. It went on the news, all these things. The Conroe Courier did a, uh, basically a more positive article about it, got the whole facts and told the truth. Um, and so that that kind of punched my ticket into, uh, you know, Splendora Athletics. And I was like, okay, here I am. This is <laughs> the new coach making headlines. <laughs> yep. Oh man, I love that, man. I just... I don't want to go on a tangent about the media, but sometimes there can be some irresponsible reporting to just spin a story a certain way to get a desired mm -hmm. reaction. And, you know, I think about what you're, what you're saying, like Michael Jordan pops to mind famously. Mm -hmm. The goal is to make the varsity when you're an athlete and he didn't make it. And mm -hmm. that fueled him and he never forgot about it. So mm -hmm. he achieved failure there as a high school sophomore that mm -hmm. couldn't make it uh, to the varsity at that time. So I, I love that. I love I love that, and I'm glad that that things are going so great at Splendora. Really enjoy a lot of a lot of the methods you've shared with us today. But we're going to kind of go past some of the coaching part now. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I teased it a little bit earlier, and that's what I love about this show. We I've been talking to you for what over an hour now, an hour twenty mm -hmm. minutes. We don't really talk X's and O's. You know, this show mm -hmm. is more about getting to know good, successful coaches, getting to know what makes them tick, and, and talking like through some real things. I mean, I love what you shared. You know about that adversity you faced with your mom. Uh, and how that mm -hmm. actually grew into a, a positive thing. But I teased it earlier for me, I grew up in kind of a dysfunctional home, you know, mm -hmm. it, not, not necessarily like physically violent, but my dad, my dad was an abusive kind of person. And there was a lot, mm -hmm. just every night was, you know, when, when my, my dad worked nights as a, as a prison guard for the state, and when he get mm -hmm. home in the mo morning, that's when the first argument starts. And then I go to school and I get back. And when he, when my mom comes home from work, that's when the next argument starts, you know, mm -hmm. but where's dinner and this, that, and it was just, it was just constant arguing. And you're just, uh, you're that kid who's trying to up in your bed, just hoping like, please, God, let me fall asleep. So I don't have to hear the screaming yes. anymore. And then I just want to get in my car and get the hell out of here in the morning. So mm -hmm. I can totally relate to so much said there. I was that kid. And you wouldn't know it looking at our house on the outside. You know, we live in a suburban sugar land. Like mm -hmm. you don't know that. And when I was coaching, I'd always share that with kids. 
is when you're going through that, like when I was going through that, I always thought all of my friends, families were so perfect and I'm the only one experiencing these things. And so I'd always tell my students, like, you're not, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. If if there's something I can do to help, please feel free. I'm an ally for you. Please feel free. Cause I I live that too. And it's not Mm -hmm. your fault. It's not your fault that your parents are fighting all the time and things like that. So the, the reason I bring that story up for this segment is I love coaches. I did it for 11 years. I always, I was like you, I want to be a coach my entire life. It was my dream to be a head football coach in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, I also hit a breaking point similar to you did. And I decided, Hey, let me, let me try something in sales. And that, that, that's why I'm here now. However, everything I do, like with this podcast and the broadcast that I do, I do it to highlight great coaches. I think coaches need to be celebrated. And so whenever I'm now that I'm, I go to games, I'm sitting in the bleachers for a broadcast and I hear some of the negative stuff that parents say, you know, whether it's directed mm-hmm. at parents or you know, other, other players or at the coaches or at the officials, like it really rubs me the wrong way, Jamie, you know? And it's like, I just hate mm-hmm. that because I understand the, the real meaning of these could It's not the win or the loss. It's that kid who hates being at home. They're, they're yep. happy to go see their coach. So that, yep. I guess the, I'm getting around to saying, I do, I do see it as problematic when I see some negative stuff being spun in a negative way, even like your story with the t-shirt, just always mm-hmm. swinging it back to the negative. I hate that. And so I'm just curious, you know, you've been doing this for a long time and a lot of different levels. Do you see some of that negativity in sports? And, and maybe you don't, maybe, maybe you're not seeing as much as maybe I'm perceiving it, but do, do you see some of that? And if you do, what can we do as a society, as a community to try to like combat against that? Cause really sports are beautiful and should be celebrated in my opinion. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Um, No, I absolutely see it all the time. Um, I see it with kids who, who come, I I see it with kids who come and show up and they show up not wanting to be there because they're like, I just know no matter what I do is not going to be good enough for what my mom or dad wants. Um, Then on the other extreme, you have the other kid who's my dad wants me to do X, Y, Z and I got to, you know, blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, the, the pressures of that family dynamic are there. And I mean, they're there in all different ways, shapes and forms. Um, You know, I would say I think the biggest thing that, you know, people in a community and, you know, in just individuals who follow sport, you know, remember that they're human. The coach is human. The umpires are human. We are seeing such a huge decline in referees, umpires, not just in softball. I mean, in all sports. I mean, coaches are having to rechange their schedules to play on like Wednesdays and Saturdays in some areas because there's not enough people to officiate. And that's a problem. And, um, you know, I just think, again, it comes down to like, this is not the whole world. Like your daughter's softball game is not going to make or break who she's going to become. And so my my plea, if there's anybody listening who, you know, is a parent, is, you know, just somebody who's involved in community and sport and wants to be in that know, you know, just take time to to see the person. Don't see the jersey. Don't don't see, you know, the the white and black stripes or, you know, or the blue shirt from the umpire or, or just see the coach like see them as a person, um, because I guarantee that'll change the whole the whole way you interact with somebody. Um, and then. For me as a coach to the players, I have to remind them, like, this is not what we are all about. We we are more than softball players. We are more than, you know, this jersey that you put on. 
Yes, do we love to do it? Yes, do we love to compete? Yes, are we going to do the hard stuff and do the work? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, like, this is fun. It's a game. Somewhere down the line, somebody made this up playing, <laughs> you know, with, with a rock and a stick or however right, right. it came to be. I should know yeah. this. I learned it in class somewhere in college. Um, <laughs> but it it's a game. It was made up for entertainment, for fun. And I just believe us as a society somewhere have gotten away from the, the joy of what athletics can bring, not only to a community, but to, to an individual's life and the, the dramatic effect that can change the trajectory of where a kid was to where they're going. Um, and that's what's important. So I always like to ask our kids, like, what's really important right now? Like, what's really important? Is you going to see your grandma who's in the hospital important or is you coming to this game important? Because I can guarantee if something happens to your grandma, you're not going to care about this softball game. You're going to regret not being there. And so I, I mean, again, as a coach, I really try to hold on to that perspective of it's not just about the, it's not about the game. It's, it's about the, the game of life. That's what it's about because everybody's in the pursuit of it. Everybody's careers are going to end. Everybody has such a short time on this earth and how we spend it matters, whether people believe that or not. Coach, I, I really, everything you said reminds me of episode number 12 of Katie Kilgore, uh, the head coach of Fort Bend Travis, because like yourself, she was a very successful high school softball player. But the moment came whenever she arrived to college, she just felt, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to wake up for the 6am workout. You know, I, I just want to be a student. And at that moment, you mentioned some, there are some parents that just hang on the softball, like it's life and death. And getting that scholarship is life and death, you know, and she said in that moment, she, you know, maybe, you know, she went to go tell her parents and they supported her a hundred percent. And she's talked about that moment was a defining moment in her life mm -hmm. that her parents had her back and that just invigorated her. And now look at her. I mean, she, without, she said without, you know, she didn't have to play college softball to be an award-winning coach of a great team at Fort Ben Travis. And so I just want to share that story for parents. At the end of the day, these parents all love their kids. That feeling of telling your daughter, it's okay that you don't want to play like, that meant the world to her. So I, I just love that you brought that up. It reminded me of that story. So I, I think that's really good advice. Okay. So man, we've, we've gone over a lot. Now we're kind of just at the ending here with the fun portion. Um, as far as, you know, cool stories, those, you, you just said in all caps, the Patty Gasso. <laughs> yes. I can't wait to hear this one. So what, what's the story? Oh man. Okay. So I had been sneaking into the softball coaching clinic since I was in college. Um, again, I had, I had friends who were older than me who were coaches and this is the, the Gulf coast coach softball coaches clinic we hold every year in Houston. Yeah. And, um, uh, so again, I had been sneaking in. And so one year I, again, I hadn't been coaching yet. I was in my last semester at Sam Houston. So I was about to become, and, uh, straight up, they gave out the lineup for who was going to be there for next year. And Patty Gasso was on that lineup. Yeah. And I said, Oh my gosh, like she just, I mean, I, I watch her YouTube videos. Like I watch not just like her interviews. I've, I try to, tra I try to track her back as far. I like, I kind of fangirled it for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so, um, I was like, I can't miss it. Like I'm going to be there. And I made a promise to myself that day. If she does show up, and I have the opportunity, like, I'm going to go introduce myself and I'm going to speak to her. Yeah, right? great. Yep. So 
the moment comes, she's here. She gives a, you know, beautiful talk about, you know, coaching your kids up where they're at, meet them where they're at, you know, every, every kid is a kid, different levels. And I mean, just, just a great, you know, start to our season type of talk. And um, sure enough, like it's coming to an end and my heart just starts. And I'm like sitting there talking to myself, like, Jamie, why are you freaking out, dude? Like, it's just another coach. Like, everything's cool. And like the other part of me is like, nah, girl, like this is Patty Gasso. Like, what do you mean? This is just another coach. So I'm like freaking out. And um, I am not going to lie to you. I don't know how I got to the front of the room. I don't remember walking. I don't remember. Yes. I feel like I floated up there. Right. Like, right. Right. There was the, I, I just told myself 20 seconds of courage. That's it. I just need 20 seconds of courage to just show up and be seen and whatever yeah. happens happens. And so ended up getting up there. I was first in line. Um, I just reached my hand out and I just said, coach Gasso, um, and again, as I'm sticking my hand out and I get her name out, I forget my name. Uh, so, <laughs> yes. So I'm sitting there and I have my hand shaken out and like I'm shaking because I'm yeah, nervous yeah. and she can visibly see it because I remember her face was like, she's trying to be sweet, trying to be yeah. patient. And uh, I'm like, uh, Coach Gasso, my name is uh, um Jamie Hink. And like, there was like a huge pause for a second. I truly did not remember my name. And um, <laughs> that's great. I had a list of questions to ask her, but the, and I asked her the list of questions, but the, the one that I only remember the getting a response to was um, I asked her, you know, if, if you were my age becoming, you know, who you are today, if you can just take it back to the first right. time, you know, right. you became a head coach you know, what would your advice be or what would you do different? And uh, she just said, trust your gut. Yeah. Everything you do, trust your gut. And uh, she's like, people, you're going to have naysayers. You're going to have people who who will not see your vision, whether you want them to or not. Uh, you, you're going to have people who are going to try to to dim your light. Um, but at the end of the day, the vision is your vision. And if you feel like that is what you are called to do and need to do, then you do it. And whether it's right, whether it's wrong, you you can at least say you made that choice. And I, I'll, I'll never forget that. And that was so profound for me. And uh, again, an embarrassing way to, to meet the Patty Gasso, but uh, definitely worthwhile. I love that story. I, I, I just love that story. And I mean, I I think back to Patty Gasso because my, my wife and I are both huge fans of softball. We, we, all, we were glued mm -hmm. to the TV during the uh, you know College World Series. And I remember this year, I think they didn't they lose a game pretty early in the season, which is a little, you know, a little unheard of. And, you know, also, yep. Mm -hmm. And Stanford, I think, took them down to the wire a couple of times. They kind of escaped with mm -hmm. some victories. And you could just see the, you know, we, we talk about our situations at Northbrook, which are so different than Oklahoma, but every coach, mm -hmm. the expectations just get, get risen so high to where it's like these mm -hmm. girls can lose one game and people are starting to freak out. And I could just see Coach Gasso feeling that. You know what I mean? I just feel it in the interview, just that sense of relief to get the win. But also in her interview, she did stress some of those things of like, I don't know, I'm, I'm butchering the story, but but I could sense from her, she understands what the real important things are. Her team understands yeah. what the real important things are. And then winning's a byproduct of that. But that's just what I got from listening mm -hmm. to her speak. And I'm like, man, yes. she so gets it. But uh, 
but yeah, very cool story, coach. I, I, yes. I, uh, I really appreciate you sharing that. But speaking of the OU Sooners, Patty Gasso, I, I, all the fans of the show know I collect jerseys. So I am wearing a Sooners uh, jersey here for you. Um, we always kind of finish with a Mount Rushmore of your favorite team. So Mount Rushmore <laughs> being your, your top four all time. So I'd like to know your Oklahoma Sooner softball, Mount Rushmore, your top four favorite all-time Sooner players or coaches. You, Patty Gasso's going on there. You know of that. Of course, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> she, she's going on there. Um, right after her, I'm going to have to put Kalani Ricketts. Uh, okay. That is a dog. And, again, she is just – I love watching her play when I was growing up and just the fire she brought. I'm like, oh, like I would, I would love to meet her and just be in yeah. her presence for a day just to feel her – energy um I think after that I'm gonna have to put Jocelyn Allo up there yeah absolutely. Uh, <laughs> just yeah just because of her her lightheartedness and her her love for the game and you know she had her pitfalls and you know things like that that were very public uh to everybody and how she handled that and um the home run queen I mean that's beautiful swing I mean so yeah she's definitely going up there um and I think I'm gonna have to put Shay Knighton up there too yeah she I remember watching her play um, when they they went into that deep, deep round with with Florida. And uh, I mean, just the the again, every OU player, especially nowadays, it seems like their energy has just gotten bigger, bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, but I feel like that that group and that team, I can't remember specifically what year, but they I feel like they kind of ignited that standard and kept it there and it just blossomed ever since oh, i love that i think he did an awesome job and obviously in, in recent memory agalo obviously really stands out to me and uh that, that it's just been a lot of fun it's been a lot of fun you know my brother lives in the tulsa area now and so i just i see the passion for softball in, in that state you know mm-hmm. and obviously we have it too here in texas and so just see so many people from this part of the country just uh, playing at a high level at ou is really cool but Coach, we've kind of made it to the end here. I mean, I've had a great time. If y'all have enjoyed it as as much as we have, please take a moment. Again, give us that five-star rating. That's going to feed into the algorithm and and have this this show pop up for more people, the more ratings we can get. Hit the follow button and subscribe and hear new episodes as soon as they come out each week. And you can follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kobo. It's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. You can join the Team Play Revolution by hitting us up with any feedback or guest suggestions. So if there's a coach that made a difference in your life, let us know. DM me on Twitter or if you prefer email, you can hit uh, emails at teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com. As always, the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast is provided by two of my former players. The cover art is by Kaiser St. Cyr. And our intro and exit music is one more good enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. Coach Jamie Hank, thank you so much for coming on the show. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yep. Thank you all to the team. Thank you to all the team players out there for your support. And we'll catch y'all down the road. It always feel like I need one more bar and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more bar and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more bar and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough. I'm just fine, I'm good enough.
truth be told, I need some therapy. Initially, ain't do it voluntarily, but now I 